Hey, glad you could join us today on RK Ministries podcast, where each week we engage culture with biblical truth by sharing a message of truth and hope from a biblical perspective. Like the podcast, share the podcast, subscribe to the podcast, find us on Facebook and Twitter, and hope that you enjoy today as you join us on this episode of RK Ministries podcast. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, will you follow me over to the Gospel of John? This morning, we're going to begin chapter 3. Our text today will be John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And the Bible says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, And said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you again this morning. We thank you that you have turned these sinners into saints. That you condescended yourself. You stepped out of the heavenly round. You stepped out of your glory. And you took upon yourself humanity. And you waded into the cesspool of our sinfulness. And you rescued us. And Lord, for that and that alone, we are thankful. And Lord, we ask this morning as we are reminded about your redeeming work, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us minds to comprehend, that the truth of this word will become that implanted seed that sets itself and takes root in our innermost being, And it grows into a tree of faithfulness. 
We ask, Lord, that for those who may be lost among us or within the sound of my voice, that they would come to Christ today. And for those of us who are saved, that we would live like it. And as always, Lord, use this vessel to bring glory and honor to your holy name. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, last time we were together, we ended up John chapter 2. In John chapter 2, we saw Jesus start his public ministry. We saw him begin with the very first sign that John has chosen to give to us in this gospel as he was there in Cana of Galilee and he turned the water into wine. And then really, we saw another sign. While it was not necessarily a miracle, we saw Jesus use the authority of the divine to cast out the the money changers and the vendors from the temple of God. And when we were there, we saw these religious leaders come, the rulers of the temple, and they confronted him and says, in essence, who are you? Show us a sign by what reason you are able to do what you just did. And well, Jesus did give them a sign. At least he prophesied about a sign. He says, you tear down this temple and in three days, I'll rebuild it. And he was talking about his death and his resurrection that was to come. That was the sign that he promised uh, to give them. Then at the end of that chapter, John told us that while there, Jesus done many other signs that he didn't write about. You know, he's already told us that at the end. You know, there are many things that Jesus did and said that were not written in this book. And if they were written down, the world couldn't contain everything that he said and did. He said, but these things I have written down that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that he is the Son of God and that in believing in his name, you might have eternal life. Well, Jesus did a bunch more signs while he was there in Jerusalem for the Passover. And those signs caused many people to come and be intrigued by Jesus. The Bible says they believed in his name. But you remember how it ended? The Bible also says that Jesus didn't entrust himself to them. It's really two, both words are the same Greek word. He didn't, they believed in his name, but Jesus didn't believe in their belief. That's really the implication of that text. Why did he tell us that? Why did John say that? Well, he gave us explanation. He said, because Jesus knows the heart of every single human being. He don't need anybody to testify to him what's in the heart of man because he knows what's in the heart of man and he knew their belief was superficial. And then John chapter three begins. In your translation, it may say now, right? That's how how it begins in, in the ESV. Now there was a man. I think... While it can be translated now, don't, don't get me wrong, it's not a bad translation, but the word day in the Greek can also mean but. And I think contextually, if you think about from chapter 2, what Jesus just got through saying about men, I think it's better to say, but there was a man of the Pharisees. See, there's a contrast here. And we're not going to see Nicodemus come to faith in Christ 
in this section. But I think by the end of this, I'll show you that I believe he ultimately comes to Christ. And God, Jesus knows what's in his heart. And that's why the contrast, I think, is there. But there was a man from the Pharisees. Because it was part of the Sanhedrin, I believe, in chapter 2, who confronted him about why he, he ran out the money changers. Because they would have been the ones who sanctioned it, right? They, they were the authority there. They let him come in. And Jesus was usurping their authority by running them out. And they were wondering who this guy was to do these things. And we know later on the Pharisees will say that, hey, this guy is of the devil, right? But right now, here's this one who's coming to Jesus. And we know, <clears throat> y'all can tell I'm struggling. We know that he is concerned about what other people think about him because of what his friends think about Jesus. Because he comes at night, right? To see him. And Jesus, in this encounter, we're going to see three encounters with Nicodemus in these 15 verses. Three little portions of dialogue. And in this dialogue, Jesus confronts Nicodemus' worldview. Jesus gets to the heart of what it is that Nicodemus doesn't even know he needs to know. And the great thing is, that he left it all for us to see so that we could know what Nicodemus needed to know because we need to know the same thing. And so we're going we're gonna to break this down by way of three main headings as we look at these three dialogues. First, I think in the first dialogue, we see the real issue exposed in verses 1 through 3. Nick, Jesus gets to the heart of what Nicodemus needs to know. And then secondly, we'll see regeneration explained. Because Jesus is going to bring up a term. We've already seen it, just not in this explicit way. But Jesus is going to bring up this term that we need to understand what it means in the second section, verses 4 through 8. And then the remainder of the, the, the text, 9 through 15, we'll see the, necess the necessity of faith expressed in relation to what Jesus has just told Nicodemus. So let's get started. We're just going to kind of walk through uh, the text this morning. First, this real issue exposed, verses 1 through 3. So get, get your Bibles and just follow along with me as we go through the text today. And again, ESV says, now there was a man. I like, but there was a man of the Pharisees. Now, first, we've got to think about, well, who are Pharisees, right? Why is this important? Why, why does John need to tell us that Nicodemus is of the Pharisees? Well, the Pharisees probably came about during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. You may have heard that name before, right? When, when, you know, nowadays when everything is going on in the Middle East, everybody's talking about eschatology and the end times and, and, and what's, going, what's going to happen, right? And one of the things, in, um, if, if you think about it from a dispensational perspective anyway, but it's mentioned in the Bible, uh, and so it's a, present, it's a reality, is the idea of the abomination of desolation. You ever heard that phrase? Whenever the abomination of desolation takes place, then you'll know, right, it, the, the time is coming near. Well, here, here's one catch to that. Antiochus Epiphanes abominated the temple. He went in and proclaimed himself as divine. 
and established himself in, in the throne room of God. And I think he slaughtered a pig all over uh, the temple. So in one historical sense, Antiochus Epiphanes did exactly what this abomination of desolation is talking about. But it's during that time that the Pharisees or the group of the Pharisees rose up. And the Pharisees were devout Jews who believed in God's word and tradition, right? Oral tradition. And so they were sticklers for following after the law of God. All 600 of them you find in the Old Testament. Now we know they added to it, right? They, they elaborated on uh, what these laws were intended or how they were intended to be viewed. But they, they were determined to check off all those boxes as it related to the law. And that's why we read this confrontation that Jesus had with these Pharisees all the time, right? Especially concerning the Sabbath, when Jesus would heal a person on the Sabbath or when he and his disciples were walking through a grain field and they would take the, the, grain, the heads of grain and thresh it in their hand and eat it, right? They were confronting him on their understanding of the law. So they were sticklers for the law. You remember Paul? Paul says, hey, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And part of that a testimony for him before Agrippa was, I was a Pharisee. As far as the law was concerned, I was blameless, is what he said. So for them, they, they were the most pious people around. They were in a minority, though. They were part of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin was made up of 70 group, seventy men, 70 elders. Part of them would have been Sadducees, who were the, the, the opposite almost of, or at least the opponents of, the Pharisees. And uh, the Sanhedrin was also made up of, of the scribes. And so the, the, the Pharisees were a minority group. Some people, depends on who you read, there were, there were between 2,000 to 6,000 Pharisees maybe in existence in Jesus' day. And so they were a minority even in this Supreme Court of the Jews. But they had the hearts of the people. They were popular among the people. And so you can see why it is that they were having a problem with Jesus because who were the people turning to? Well, they were turning to Jesus, right? And they were the ones who had the mind and the eye of the people, and they didn't want to give that up. So that's why they had this contention. So that's part of who Nicodemus was, okay? So he was, he was determined that if he lived the law, that he'd be part of the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say his name was Nicodemus. He was a ruler of the Jews, and that just lets us know he was part of that Sanhedrin. Hedron. He was part of the... the for lack of a better way to put it, so we can understand it, the, the Supreme Court of Israel, if you will, they, they were the ruling authority. There were 70 of them, and the high priest had the, had the tie-breaking vote if there needed to be. So he was part of that group. Who People came to him, right? They, they came to that group to, dis, to settle disputes. So he, he, had, he had reached the pinnacle of religiosity in Israel. And he goes on uh, further, we learn later on that he's a teacher, right? We learn later on he's a teacher. People came to him. He taught them the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. He taught them the law of God. So he had reached the climax of the kingdom of God. He, he, he was a son, a son of Abraham, right? He was circumcised the eighth day to use Paul's testimony. All of those things. He's, he, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And if anybody's going to make it in, 
the Pharisees were going to make it in, right? And so that's the pedigree we have here. And so he comes to Jesus and he comes to him by night. And I've already alluded to that in the introduction. Part of that is maybe he didn't want to be seen by his other pharisaical friends coming to Jesus. I don't know why he came at night, but he did. He chose to come visit Jesus at night. And here's what he said to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, and that's a term of endearment, right? Respect. He respected Jesus. Rabbi. This is an interesting phrase to me. So interesting that I underlined it, bold typed it in my notes. Because he's, he doesn't say, I know. He says, we know. Well, who's the we? The implication is there may be others in this group who know that Jesus is from God, although they don't want to admit it. Who else is he talking about? We know, he says, that you are a teacher from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now think about this. He hadn't raised Lazarus from the dead yet. Not that we know. He hadn't done anything like that, right? Now, I don't know what other signs he'd done while he was there in Jerusalem during this first Passover. He may have healed people from diseases or whatever. But he hadn't got to the part where he was raising people from the dead yet. And already, Nicodemus comes and says, hey, we know. You're from God because nobody can do what you're doing unless God's with him. And so later on, are these Pharisees, these same Pharisees, doing what Paul writes about in Romans chapter 1? Are they suppressing the truth that they already know? Because they don't like what they see? What about you today? Do you see the truth of Christ? Or are you still suppressing that truth in your life today? He says, we know that you are a teacher from God. No one can do these signs unless you... Uh, unless God is with him. Now, Jesus, I mean, Nicodemus has just made a statement, right? He didn't ask a question. But listen to how Jesus responds to him. Jesus answered him. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus hadn't asked a question. He wasn't looking for an answer at this point. Or at least he didn't know he was. But Jesus knew exactly what he needed to know, didn't he? And so Jesus goes to the heart of the issue. And he says to Nicodemus, this is what you need to understand today. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I think we need to understand a little bit more about this word that is translated again in the English. It's probably more properly, more woodenly translated from above. You must be born from above. Now I think both concepts are in play because of the way Nicodemus answers or responds to what Jesus says in just a moment. That there is this element of a new birth. But what Jesus needs us to understand, 
what he needs Nicodemus to understand as we get to the next section. He's going to remind us that the only way this new birth can take place is from above. So he says to him, you must be born from above. And what is Jesus doing for Nicodemus? Well, you remember who Nicodemus was. Hebrew of Hebrews. Child of Abraham, right? Circumcised. Jew. Keeper of the law. Part of the Sanhedrin. Teacher. In Nicodemus' mind, I'm in. I'm in. I'm doing everything possible to be in. And, Nick, and Jesus shatters everything that Nicodemus believed in that one statement. And he says to you, Nicodemus, I know who you are, but here's what you need to know. None of that will ever make you right with God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born from above. It's not enough to check off your boxes in the law. It's not enough to sit in your high seat in the Sanhedrin. It's not enough that you teach the Old Testament to people. Until God has redeemed you and you've been transformed, born from above, quite literally, you don't have the power, comes from the word dunamis. You don't have the ability to even see the kingdom of God. That's what John's saying to every one of us in this room today. That's what he's saying to you. Maybe you're like Nicodemus. Not, not that you're a Jew, but you think that because I check off my boxes, that I write down my list of do's and don'ts, and I check off my box every day. I'm pious. I say my prayers every day. I come to church every Sunday. I, I even come on Wednesdays. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And you say, if, I'm, if anybody's going to get in, I'm going to get in because I know I'm better than so-and-so over there. And what Jesus is saying to you is the same thing he just said to Nicodemus. None of that's going to get you right with God. None of that's going to get you into the kingdom of God. You must be born again. You must be born from above. And we've already seen this language, really, in John. If you, if you go over, I think it's John, first, uh, John chapter 1, verse 12. Flip over to the left in your Bible. Listen, listen to what John says in John chapter 1, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Well, how do you become children? Well, think about it from your earthly experience. How did you become a child? Well, you were born, right? And so what is John saying? He's already foreshadowing what he's about to tell us in John chapter 3. There's got to be another birth that takes place in your life if you want to become the children of God. Listen to verse 13. He makes it plain. Who were born? And then he tells them, how were they born? Not 
of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. So not in a fleshly sense, he's saying. This is not just because you were born human or just because you were born a Jew. It's not what I'm talking about, John says. Nor of the will of man. That's important. Because Jesus is going to verify this in our section today, if I can ever get there. This is a birth that is from above. Look what he says. But of God. This being born again, this being born from above, is all of God and none of you. You cannot bring yourself to be in the kingdom of God. God, through the Holy Spirit and through the work of Christ, brings you to the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus was saying to Nicodemus. And that's what Jesus is saying to you today. So that's the real issue exposed today. Are you born again? Have you been born from above? Well, you may be like Nicodemus when you hear that language. How can a person be born again, right? Look at this Nicodemus. This is regeneration explained. Jesus is going to explain to Nicodemus what he means when he says you must be born again or you must be born from above. Listen to what he says. Nicodemus says to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Now, that's a legitimate question, right? If I was there, I would ask the same question. What in the world are you talking about is what Nicodemus is saying. This doesn't even make pretty good sense to me, Nicodemus is saying. I'm an old man. I was born a long time ago. And Nicodemus, I think Nicodemus understood the implication of what Jesus was saying. Because Nicodemus knew, like you and I know, how, how much control did you have over your initial birth? Well, absolutely none, right? You, you had nothing to do with your initial birth. Nicodemus understood the implication of what Jesus was saying. This is an impossible thing that you're saying. Can I go back in and be born again? Well, the obvious answer is no. That, that, is, an, that is a human impossibility. Can a man enter a second time into the womb, he says, and be born? And then Jesus, the second, truly, truly. Three times in all three of these, he, he starts off with truly, truly, or amen, amen, or verily, verily, depending on your translation. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus has said two things to Nicodemus. First, he told Nicodemus, unless you are born again or you're born from above, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And now he says to him, unless you are born of water and of the spirit, you don't even have the power to enter the kingdom of God. He says, you're on the outside looking in, Nicodemus. No matter your pedigree, no matter all the accolades, no matter what all the people say about you or think about you, you're on the outside looking in unless you've been born from above. Unless you've been born again. What about you today? Are you on the outside looking in? Are you on the outside in your church membership, 
in your baptismal experience looking in because you've rested on everything else but Jesus Christ. And you've never been born from above. You've never been born again. If that's you, you don't have the ability to enter the kingdom of God. You don't have the ability to see the kingdom of God. You're on the outside with no hope looking in. That's where Nicodemus was. Jesus says you got to be born of water and of the Spirit. Now, we got to stop right there, right? Push pause. What does he mean, born of water? Now, we might can get the Spirit part, right? What does he mean, born of water? Well, I think there's two ways to look at this. And again, maybe, maybe playing the middle road of the issue, I think both are valid a little bit. We just have to be careful with the first one. The first way is the way that most of us probably have heard this talk, the way I grew up understanding this text was, well, Jesus was just responding to Nicodemus's fleshly thinking, right? Nicodemus just asked him, how can this be? Can I go back a second time into my mother's womb and be born? And Jesus' response is, well, you got to be born of water and of the Spirit in this sense, that you got to be born to a woman and become human, right? Through birth, you, you exist, and then you also got to be born spiritually. I think there's some element to, it, to that. I don't think that's really the point that Jesus was making. Although the second phrase we hadn't read yet in this text tells us, Jesus says to him, what's born of flesh is flesh, right? So that validates the argument. Nicodemus was thinking in a fleshly, fleshly sense, right? He was thinking, hey, you know, this, this doesn't make sense to me. I'm still in a fleshly frame and it seems impossible what you're saying. But I think there's something greater that Jesus is saying about this water. And the only reason I say that we need to think at it maybe in a broader understanding is because we always tie that to this idea of what we hear in our culture, or at least we used to hear, when women went into labor. We would say that their water broke, right? Well, the, 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 the amniotic fluid, the, the sac ruptured and the fluid spilled out, right? Well, here's the problem with that. Here's your, here's your dollar word for the day, anachronistic, okay? Because they wouldn't understand that language, right? They, they wouldn't understand our figure of speech, our idiom that your water broke. Now, they would understand what happened. They would understand that a baby was, when it was born, that this fluid came out when the process took place. But they, they wouldn't understand our idiom for that, right? So when we, when we do that, we are looking at the text anachronistically. We are, we are imposing upon the text our culture and our historical context and understanding. And that's a dangerous place to be, okay? We don't want to do that. What we want to do is say, well, what, did Jesus, what was Jesus really trying to say to Nicodemus? And then how does that apply to me today in the culture that I am in? And, and again, I will, I will grant that there is an element of a contrast between the physical and the spiritual. But I think, remember, Nicodemus, Jesus knows who he's talking to, right? He knows Nicodemus. He knows everything that's in Nicodemus' heart. He knows his pedigree. Nicodemus is a teacher of the Old Testament, teacher of the law. And I think Jesus is appealing to him as a teacher when he says to him, you must be born of water and of the Spirit, and I think a light bulb should go on in Nicodemus's head, right? And Nicodemus, 
his mind should go to Exodus 36. You don't have time to go there, but write this down. Exodus 36, verses 25 through 26. Because Jesus is about to explain to him what it means to be born of water and of the Spirit. All right? And he joggles his mind. And his mind ought to have went to Exodus 36, 25 through 26. Listen to what the Lord said in Exodus, or Ezekiel, excuse me, Ezekiel 20, 36, 25 through 26. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be cleansed from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. <clears throat> Excuse me. I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart <clears throat> and a new spirit. I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. What was God saying? This new birth involves me taking out that heart of stone that is petrified from sin and putting in you a heart of flesh, but it also involves me taking the Holy Spirit and cleansing you with this proverbial water, washing you and purifying you from the inside out. It is that cleansing that's taking place in this new birth. And God, Jesus is telling Nicodemus that I have to cleanse you and purify you and bring you to life again with a brand new heart. That's what this new birth or this being born from above is. It's God purifying and cleansing you through the work of the Holy Spirit. How many times did we hear in that passage, listen, I will sprinkle, I will cleanse, I will give, I will put, I will remove. That's all of God and none of you. God redeems us wholly and completely. And Jesus was telling Nicodemus, that's what's, got, that's what's got to take place in you. You've got to be regenerated. You've got to be transformed. Paul parallels that, doesn't he? Paul says, whenever I come to Christ, guess what happens? I am a brand new creation. Old things are passed away. All things are become new. God changes us from the inside. And in that sense, it is like a new birth. Even greater than that, we are brought from death. We are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we are brought to life in Christ Jesus. And so, the Lord says to Nicodemus, listen, son, all this stuff you're doing, it's not going to help you because you've got to be born from above first. You've got to be born of the Spirit of God. And didn't John prophesy this about Jesus? We was thinking about baptizing. John says, hey, I John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. But there's one that's coming who's greater than me. He was before me. He's going to baptize you with, with the spirit and with fire, right? And that idea of fire is that purifying, cleansing fire of God. And then he goes on in this, in this passage, uh, verse 5 again in John chapter 3. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And Paul mirrors that in Romans chapter 8, right? He says, those who walk after the flesh, they are have a carnal mind. They are at enmity with God. They're enemies of God. But it's those who walk according to the Spirit. Well, how do we walk according to the Spirit? When God regenerates us and changes us. When we have a new birth that takes place in our life. When the Holy Spirit transforms us from the inside out. And then he goes on to say, do not marvel that I say to you, you must. There's that divine necessity. It's not you should. It's not it would be good if you would. It is you must be born again. You must be born from above. That's the only way you can enter the kingdom of God if you're born from above. Then he goes on to give him an illustration because Nicodemus says, how can these things be? I don't understand this. And Jesus says, listen, here's you an earthly illustration. Here's you a, a fleshly illustration. You see the wind, or you hear the wind, right? You don't see it. You see the effects of it and you hear it. But you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. You can't control it. He goes on to say, that's the way the spirit works in regeneration. And in salvation, we don't, we, don't, we don't control it. Maybe we don't even fully understand how he does it, but he does it. And we see the effect of it in the lives of those who have been redeemed and regenerated. And so that leads us to the last section. I know, 1131. One more, we'll be done. The necessity of faith expressed. Again, follow me quickly. I'll try not to belabor every line. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? He still doesn't get what Jesus is saying. And at this point, Jesus confronts his ignorance. Look what he says. Jesus answered him in verse 10. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. How about you? How long have you been in Sunday school? How long have you sat in the church and you don't understand these things? May God open your mind to the truth of it today. Then he goes on to say to him, truly, truly, that third time, truly, truly, amen, verily, verily, I say to you, Jesus, talking about him and I, I think his disciples, we know and we bear witness to what we have seen. We've seen this. We've experienced this. Jesus really is the fulfillment of this. And he says, but you don't receive it. And quite frankly, to, to give you a little, a little Greek again, lambanate, Lombano, receive, it's in the second person plural. For, for, uh, for we folks in Alabama, it would be better understood as, y'all don't get it, right? That's what he's saying. Now, who's the y'all? I think the rest of these Pharisees that said, we know that you're from God. But y'all just don't get the rest of it. It's what he's saying. How about you? Do you get it today? And he goes on to say, if I have told you earthly things, he gave him the example of the wind. If I've told you earthly things and you don't believe, how can you believe it when I tell you heavenly things? Well, the only way he can be is if God opens his eyes to it, like God did to Paul on the road to Damascus, right? Paul was the same way. He didn't get it. He was killing people because they were following after this Jesus. And then one day, God arrested him on the road to Damascus and opened his eyes that he might see that yes, I must be born from above. 
And he was all of God and none of Paul. And then he goes on to give this example or this statement. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must, there's that divine necessity again. Not this is a good thing that ought to happen. This is a necessity. It must happen. If anyone wants to see the kingdom of God, Christ must be lifted up. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up. Now, what's he talking about? I really don't have time to dig into it like I want to. But you remember in the story in Exodus, they were bitten by serpents. Because of their sinfulness, it was a judgment of God. The people were dying. God, Moses goes to God. God says, make a bronze serpent, put it on the pole, raise it up. And everyone who looks to that serpent, they'll be healed. Can you imagine? That's what I got to do to be healed. How is a bronze serpent going to heal me? Jesus is saying, that's what I'm telling you today. The Son of Man must be lifted up on a cross, hung as a criminal, suffered the wrath of God in your place, and you must look to him and believe if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to enter the kingdom of God. And that's what he goes on to say, that whoever, and really, again, it is everyone Believing is a participle in, in the Greek. Everyone believing in him will have eternal life. Everyone believing in his name will have eternal life. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. That's how you get in the kingdom of God. You see the son. You understand who he is. And in that knowledge, you trust in the truth of it. And God redeems you. And he puts a brand new heart in you. And he saves you from the wrath that is to come. And you will have eternal life. What about you today? Maybe you're here today and you're like Nicodemus. Maybe you're here today, you're trying your hardest to work your way into righteousness before God. Well, here's what Jesus says to you. Stop it. Enough already. It's not going to work. Well, what do I need to do? You need to look to Jesus and you'll be saved. Look to Jesus and trust him and you'll be saved. And then the works will follow after that. I've been there. I have been this guy. Lord, did I say the right words in the prayer? Lord, Lord, did, did I have the right emotion when I said those words in the prayer? Lord, Lord, am I doing what I need to do? Let me know that I'm your child. If I get to this next red light or this next stop sign, let me know for sure that I'm part of the kingdom. You know what Jesus had to do to me on a Sunday evening, sitting in church? He said, stop it. Look to Jesus. And you'll be born from above. And that's how you entered the kingdom of God. What about you today? What about you? I'm going to pray. I'm going to give you a chance to respond. But one of the things I want you to do in this time, if you need to come, if you need to know Jesus, come. And I'll share with you from God's word how you can be saved. I already have. 
Maybe today you just need to come and say, hey, God saved me. And we celebrate that. Maybe, maybe today, we haven't talked about it much, but maybe today you've been saved and you're not a member of a church anywhere. You're not part of a local body of believers. Maybe today you just need to come and say, hey, I need to get serious about what God has done in my life and I, I need to be a part of what he's doing in, in, in this church or, or in this community. Maybe that's you. Maybe you come today. And we talk about that. You remember that slip of paper you got? Hopefully, somewhere along the way, the Lord's given you a name. Maybe you already knew it. And you'll say, I'll be willing to commit to pray for this person that they can see what, what Nicodemus eventually saw. Because later on, we see Nicodemus again. John chapter 7, Nicodemus is going to be defending Jesus in front of the Sanhedrin. And in John chapter 19, we're going to see Jesus with Joseph of Arimathea preparing the body of Jesus for burial. Now, Pharisee doesn't do that unless something happened in his life to change it. Right? Maybe you'll pray for this person that God will open their eyes. I want you to write that name down. And during the invitation, if God prompts you to do so, I want you to come over here and put these, put these, put these little pins right here. You just take a little pin. And just as a show of commitment, that you will, you will put some feet to your thoughts, that I will commit to pray for this person, that they would come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And maybe even go a step further and say, Lord, give me an opportunity to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whatever God has called you to do, I want you to be obedient to that, and you respond to the Lord today. I know my wife stepped out, but that'll be okay. We... I don't know if you can sing a cappella what we got, but we'll, we'll sing a cappella and we'll, we'll do the best we can. It's more about what God's going to do than what we're going to do right now, right? So let's pray. Father, we come to you today. We thank you for this time you've given us, the opportunity we have to be in your house. And Father, I pray for those who've heard the word, that if there's a lost person among us, they got saved, and they'll celebrate that with us today. Uh, maybe there's one here, Lord, who needs to be involved in this church and needs to become a member. Maybe they'll come, Lord, and make that, make that public today. Uh, Father, give every, everybody a name. Every one of us knows somebody who's lost. Give us the boldness to write that name down, put it on this cross, and commit to pray for them for the rest of this year. And Lord, you have your will and your way with us. In Jesus' name.